How can we make the world better? By making ourselves better. The Dr. Joe Show explores how you can make positive personal change by using his groundbreaking and highly effective I Am approach to understand who we are and why we do what we do. Your small changes can have big effects. Join us now for the Dr. Joe Show with Mark Stiles of Stiles Law and your host, Dr. Joe Schrand. Welcome to the Dr. Joe Show. Nice. Here it is, Dr. Joe. Welcome back. Wild and thunderous applause. (laughs) How you been, Dr. Joe? I've been pretty good, actually, Mark. You know, it's a holiday season that's coming up. It's going to be nice. Going to have four of uh, our kids here, which is all the kids we have. And my son-in-law will be here. And Four and a half. Should be really nice. Yeah, four and a half. I guess four and a half. That's how that works. You never, Brendan would never appreciate being called half again. I actually also just got to see both of them in New York in Macbeth at oh, nice. uh, Columbia University. And out damn spot. At, that's exactly it. And Brendan was Macbeth. Absolutely amazing. And Sophie played all the supportive roles and characters and was just hilarious. It's just wonderful to see them both up on stage again can't wait that's a great play yeah it's pretty intense how about you mark what's been going on doing great doing great same you know the holidays are coming up the family's getting back together it's going to be really exciting i'm i'm looking very much forward to it all depending on when this uh plays maybe it's already happened we don't know we don't know it's true this is the wonderful part about reality and non-reality and video and recording and you know, at some point it will play before Christmas, right? Some year, yeah. It, it's certainly something that that is very calming, and somehow sometimes the holiday season can be a bit anxiety provoking mm. for some people. So, with that in mind, Mark, would you introduce our guest for tonight? I would be honored, Doctor Joe. This is going to be an exciting episode. It's going to continue in our limited series on perspective. But today, tonight, we have a guest. He's a senior in high school. He is at the Holderness School in New Hampshire, where every senior creates a thesis. It's called their capstone project. And we have Shay Roban, who is specifically focusing his efforts on anxiety with his thesis. So without further ado, Shay, welcome to The Dr. Joe Show. Thank you. Thank you. First and foremost, I just want to thank you guys for having me on the show today. Really, really excited to be here and talk some anxiety with you guys. It, it's a it. pleasure to have you here. So, so Shay, so you're seeing how did you, so what's the, what's the name of your thesis statement then? Your title. So my thesis question, my essential question is, is anxiety something we want to manage or prevent and how do we do so? So this came to mind for me originally. I'm a basketball player. I'm going to play in college next year. I was going to take kind of the traditional, do something about my sports route. I started working on it for about a month, and it kind of lost its traction because it didn't feel like something real and deep to me. I've had a lot of members of my family struggle with anxiety, be crippled by it, and also overcome it. So it's something that I've experienced a lot of my own life and see my family go through. So through that, I kind of just discovered this question. Hmm. And, And what have you learned so far about anxiety? Yeah. So, um, my original idea was going to just be on how can we shut down anxiety? What can we do to just stop it? So kind of I started researching a lot of breathing and meditation techniques, um, box breathing that was introduced by the Navy SEALs, which is all um, nostril inhales for four seconds. Then you hold for four seconds, release for four seconds, a lot about kind of calming down the parasympathetic nervous system and lowering your rates of acetylcholine. Um, 
through a lot of this, though, uh, came apart me discovering a lot of the benefits of anxiety in terms of the release of norepinephrine and adrenaline. Uh, so that's a lot of what I've been looking into. Your anxiety levels rise. What's kind of going on in your brain? What of it is helping you? What parts of it are hurting you? Hmm. Yeah. Um, and in your own family, you say that you've, you've seen people get really anxious. Yeah. And do you have some sense of, of why and the triggers that, that, that may activate their anxiety? Yeah. So that's kind of been the big family question that everyone's wondered, where does this come from? Where does all this anxiety come from? And I'm not sure if it's a genetic thing, but um, my sibling, my brother, is, he struggled with it for a while. It manifested itself into obsessive compulsion disorder, in which it took mm -hmm. years and years of you know exposure therapy and you know eventually putting himself on SSRIs, uh, taking Zoloft, and and going that route. He didn't put himself on it, though, right? They, somebody, you know, somebody put, put him right. on it. I hope. Good. Okay, that's much better. Go ahead. Right. Yeah. Um. So there was that, and my father kind of dealt with similar things, and his whole branch of family kind of has similar quirks as those two. So it's it's something that we've all kind of identified in ourselves, but as to where it comes from, don't really know. Mm. And and. Can I ask, what about you? Have have you experienced anxiety? Yeah, I have. Um, I've been on Zoloft myself. I actually took it for the last year and four months as of three days ago. I took it for a while and I stopped around a month and a half ago. And what did you notice with the Zoloft? Yeah, so someone who's always been really anxious, the Zoloft helped a lot in the beginning, like it, it really helped calm things down a lot. I was able to approach things a lot clearer and I had a better sense of self kind of, I was a little bit happier over time though. I felt it was lowering my anxiety, but it was lowering my sensitivity to, I think kind of the whole range of emotions. I didn't really get angry. Maybe sometimes when I should have been getting angry, I wouldn't get angry. The same things that would, you know, really excite me and pull me out of bed in the morning didn't quite do the same. Mm. You know, maybe I'm hitting snooze on my alarm more when I would get right out of bed. And I started noticing that happening. So after about a year and three months or so, or a year and a month, because it would have been a year and three months, four days ago, I just decided to kind of cold turkey stop it which might have not been the best idea, but sitting here two months later, I'm pretty happy that I did. Mm -hmm. and, and can I ask, how much were you on, you know? Um, I was on 150 milligrams at the most, and then I scaled down eventually to 50. Okay. And then, and I was on 50 for about five months, and then I stopped. Okay, good. So you didn't just stop abruptly at 150 milligrams? No. Yeah, I'm gonna I'm gonna take the liberty of saying just don't don't do that, listener. Talk, <laughs> talk to your doctor. No, I'm glad no. it worked out. I'm glad it worked out. Uh, Tom, uh, you, you sound like you're speaking from some experience here. You want to just oh, share? Oh, sure. A bit? So uh, I'm I've been on uh, sertraline, which is the generic Zola for I guess over a decade now, and it definitely you definitely have to find the right dosage and the right mixture. Uh, until two years ago, I added Welbutrin or Bupropion which really counteracted like i feel you with um losing interest i'll say this you lose interest in certain activities or at least uh you you don't have as much interest but then you had the bupropion uh in my experience that leveled it out just fine again like talk to, always talk to your doctor um yeah but yeah, that's a common and experience. What was it a year and four months ago that made you decide I need to do something about this? This isn't something that is normal or that I can manage myself. Yeah, um, I I think there was a certain point where a lot of members of my family 
were telling me like in our interactions I'm noticing this in you like you've been angrier and when I saw it a lot more in my interactions with other people and when it started to re really affect my relationships with other people is when I really kind of thought all right I have to do something about this and I went um to see I think I went to my pediatrician and 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 he might have prescribed it but yeah so it, it was kind of once it started to affect my relationships with other people and this is this was prescribed for anxiety and not depression yeah correct okay yeah so Shay, part of the thesis question is, is do we want to manage slash embrace this, right? Do you see yeah. positives? Are you researching that there's positives with anxiety? Yeah, I am. Um, that's a lot of what I'm finding is, is that that release of norepinephrine and adrenaline is important. It's kind of like almost vital like a basic biological function just that 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 flight or fight response kind of making your brain judge situations and react strongly to different things it's, i'm sort of finding that it's a basic biological function to be anxious yeah and that's very true it is part of the fight flight freeze response and how would you say that um the i am approach helps to deal with anxiety okay um well, thanks for the question. First, let, let me just sort of explain to people what the I am approach is again. The idea is that we're always at a current maximum potential, doing the best we can at every moment in time with the potential to change in the very next second to another I am. This is who I am. This is me. And I matter. But we're influenced by these four domains. Your home domain, no one's going to argue your home has had an influence on you are, on who you are. The social domain, which is the rest of the world, that's us being here chatting with each other, that's being at school, that's being at work, it's walking down the road. It's everything other than the home domain. And you can appreciate stuff that happens at home influences things that may happen in the social domain, the choices you make. These two domains are outside. Then the two internal domains, the biological domain of your brain and body, are you hungry, are you tired, digesting lunch on Zoloft? And then the IC domain your current concept of yourself. How do I see myself? How do I think other people see me? Human beings are very interested in what other people think or feel. We call that empathy. But what we really want to know is what are you thinking about me? So how does this connect with anxiety? Anxiety is the flight branch of fight, flight, freeze. It is generated by an ancient, ancient part of our brain, the limbic system, which is irrational. It's involved with impulses, feelings, pleasure, memory. It also happens to be where addictions live. Um, but we have another part of our brain called the prefrontal cortex. It's a more modern part of our brain. It's responsible for rational thought for solving problems, executing a plan, anticipating what will happen next. It also happens to be where something called theory of mind lives. We can't see someone's mind, so we have to guess and theorize what they think or feel. It's the IC domain. But what we really want to know is what are they thinking about me? So let's, let's take this back several millions of years. Anxiety is that emotion that you get when you're faced with a predator. Sometimes you're faced with a predator that you know you're strong enough to beat, so you will fight it. That's the fight branch of fight, flight, freeze. That's anger. Anger is an emotion designed to change things. We get angry when we want somebody to do something different. Start doing something, stop doing something. That's what anger is. Sometimes we're faced with a predator that we know we can't beat. So we just want to run away, get out of there. That's flight. In humans, that's anxiety. Where you're faced with a predator, you may not even be aware of it, but you experience anxiety. And Shay, I think you could describe what you experience, what changes in your body 
when you feel anxious? Can you just give us that? What 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 do you notice changes in your body when you feel anxious? For me personally, it's a lot of leg tapping and and clammy hands. Okay. Yeah. Great. So just think about this in terms of the flight response. It makes sense because when we feel anxious, we mobilize cortisol, norepinephrine, adrenaline. A little chemical is released from part of our brain called ACTH, adrenal corticotrophic hormone. It sends a message down to these little glands on top of our kidneys pineal glands, and they are the ones that release cortisol and adrenaline. ACTH is like Paul Revere. The British are coming, the British are coming, there's danger, there's danger. Sends a message so that cortisol is released, which are like the Minutemen. And what do these chemicals do? Well, they activate your body. If you are faced with a predator, you're going to want to run away. So you're going to want to pump more blood to your arms and legs so you can run away and fight off a predator. You're going to want to give your brain a bit more glucose in the form of energy so you can figure out what to do. You're going to want to oxygenate that blood that you're pumping. So in order to get the oxygen in, you got to change your heart rate and your breathing. You also need to get that blood there so you change your blood pressure so you can pump the blood there. But you don't just make more blood. So you have to take the blood from your gut because there's no point digesting lunch if you're about to be lunch. That's why a lot of people feel sick to their stomach. And you take the blood from your skin because if you need to run away, you don't want to overheat. So... That's why some people get that clammy feeling, the cold sweats. So what you've done is activate everything you need to do to escape from a saber-toothed tiger. Your legs are tapping because they're ready to run. You're moving that blood away from your skin. That's why you got the clammy feeling. Some people feel sick to their stomach. Some people get muscle tension. Some people get shaky because what's happened is, remember the brain needs to get more glucose. To do that, it has to suppress insulin which is the glucose transport molecule in the rest of the body so some people get a little low blood sugar and that's why they get the shakes and the tremors perfect to run away from a saber-toothed tiger so what does that imply it implies that we are survival organisms we have evolved anxiety as a way to survive against predators but there are no more saber-toothed tigers. There may be different dangers that we are not even aware of, but we perceive them and we activate the fight-flight-freeze response. If I were to ask you to think about something that made you anxious, you could probably do it. You could probably think about something and that thought increases anxiety. So what does that tell you about anxiety? What do you think? What does it tell you about anxiety? We're kind of creating it ourselves. Yeah. What you think affects what you feel. Right. If you think anxiety is never going to go away, what happens to anxiety? Doesn't go away. Yeah, because what you think affects what you feel. How cool is that? Yeah. A lot of people don't realize how powerful their brains are. But anxiety is a perfectly normal part of being human. And it's not something that we want to just get rid of. It's helped us survive. But it's not something that needs to control our lives. Because there are no more saber-toothed tigers. There are some times where it's really quite reasonable to be anxious. You know, some people, when you're walking down a street or if you're in the dark or if you're in a, a position where you can't use all of your senses, your brain will activate anxiety because it's basically saying, I won't know if there's a predator here. So I need to be even on even higher alerts. So 
that I hope answers at least part of your first question. You know, I just want to just give an editorial remark to everyone. Um, Shay may have made a big mistake by asking a psychiatrist to talk. <laughs> hey, psychiatrists, we usually listen. When we do talk, sometimes we just don't stop talking. So if I'm talking too much, you will just let me know. Don't worry. I will not activate my fight, flight, freeze response. <laughs> no worries at all, Dr. Joe. That's really good stuff. Uh, and it it kind of goes into my next question really, really well, which is if most of anxiety comes from worrying about things that have already happened or things that haven't happened and the way that we can stop anxiety is by rationalizing it in the brain. How is someone supposed to rationalize anxiety when the anxiety is preventing them from being irrational in the first place? So the first thing you do is simply recognize you're anxious. Right. Recognition is a prefrontal cortical function. Recognition is a thinking function. You are recognizing the feeling of anxiety. And that feeling, that emotion, is a limbic experience. So the first step in managing your anxiety is just to recognize it's there. And, you know, I've already asked you, what do you recognize? Well, you, your feet start tapping and your skin gets clammy. So people can recognize what is that first thing that they experience with anxiety. They may not know why they're anxious yet. They just need to recognize, is it your heart racing? Is it your muscles changing? Is it your breathing changing? Is it feeling that shakiness, that sickness to your stomach, that sweaty feeling? You know that part of your brain has released Paul Revere and has sent a message and the Minutemen are now on the move activating your body so that you can run away from a saber-toothed tiger or fight it. There's the freeze response too. We're not necessarily talking about that, but the freeze response is when you're faced with a predator that you know you're not strong enough to beat, but you know you're not fast enough to run away from. So the next best strategy is to freeze and become invisible and hope that the danger passes. And I really think that in humans, that's depression. Where you face with a predator, but you know you just can't get away from it. So you just shut down. You know? Do you think that has roots in sort of being a social animal? It's like maybe I should sacrifice myself for the sake of the others in the herd? Well, that's that's actually gets to the, the next part of human beings have evolved three new Fs. Right, it's a wonderful setup for me. Thank you, Tom. So, you know, there's a fight, flight, freeze, but human beings as social animals have evolved three new Fs: family, friendship, fellowship, and as I say, if you're not very good at spelling, physician, um, where we share the worry. So, yeah, sometimes and there's a, there's a whole sociobiological thought to this, it sometimes is in your best interest to sacrifice yourself for the group. As long as you have enough genetic material in that group to guarantee that your genes will be still passed on into the next generation. So as uh, one great sociobiologist said, he would gladly sacrifice his life for two siblings or eight cousins. Right? Because the two siblings each have 50% of his genes, that's 100%, and each cousin has 12.5%. So that's why you need eight of them. So a little bit of a deviation, as I said. Yeah, so I kind of wanted to get a little bit into more specific to the last 20 years of anxiety, social media inciting anxiety in people. Um, maybe in part how people are creating self-diagnosed anxiety disorders from social media and also how social media is influencing anxiety just in general. Sure. But before I give you my hypothesis, do you have one? What do you think it's about? Because you're you're right involved in the social media world, I see. Yeah, I do have my own. 
hypothesis. What I think it is personally is social media is just an information overload. I think it, it, it puts so much different information into our subconscious or um, subconscious that we don't even know what to think ourselves. It makes it really di difficult, I think, to process information when there's just such an influx of things coming into our brain. So how would, how would having too much information generate anxiety then? Um, I think to make it difficult to think clearly. Mm -hmm. um, I think in the back of your brain, it might be trying to break down and digest a lot of the information that you're consuming. If you're scrolling through a social media platform, um, which is each post you're reading for, let's say, 10 seconds, and you're going through... 80 posts and 20 videos that are 30 seconds long that could be you know over 100 different pieces of information that you might consume within a matter of 45 minutes mm -hmm. so again memory is in the limbic system which is also where anxiety is generated on these other emotions um there's another side to this I think part of what what you're looking at is a comparison, isn't it? Yeah. Aren't you looking at, you know, this person saying this, this person saying that? Um, in essence, it's almost like an antisocial competition. So social media, you could also call antisocial media because there seems to be a real competitive bent to it. Tom, am I missing something on that? Or No, I was going to say that the for me my hypothesis is it all comes back to comparison so you're only seeing what people want you to see about themselves you assume that they have so much better lives that they're doing so much better there's something wrong with you there we go yeah, yeah. what do you think of that Shay? That, that idea yeah i agree a hundred percent i think it works too with what i was saying about taking in so much different information more so i guess like you said about taking it information about other people's lives um yeah i agree 100 percent. so how would that increase anxiety let me give a potential explanation human beings as social animals um have evolved an ability to appreciate what other people think or feel. We call this theory of mind. You can't see someone else's mind, so you have to guess and theorize what are they thinking or feeling, especially what are they thinking or feeling about me. That's the IC domain of the I am approach. Um, and Tom and Mark have heard me say this so many times, but millions of years ago, we were not the biggest animal we were not the fastest animal and we were not the strongest animal. We were isolated mammals scurrying around, hoping not to be lunch. And then we formed these social groups, small, 10, 20 people. And human beings' potential to survive increased so dramatically that we're everywhere. I mean, human beings are everywhere. But to access the protection of that group you have to contribute to that group, which means you have to have value. Think about every person you've ever met in your life. The common thread that binds us, we just want to feel valued by another human. I mean, think about it, Shay. Think about every person you've ever met. Don't each one of them, on some level, just want to feel valued by somebody else? Yeah. So that's I think the common yeah, everyone, that's the common thread. Because in order to maintain the protection of your social group, you have to contribute to that group, which means you have to have value. So whenever you perceive that you have less value, it will activate your fight, flight, freeze response, your limbic response, because you become worried, you're going to be picked, kicked out of your protective group. So with social media, if everyone is posting and comparing and saying, you know, I'm great and you should listen to me and watch my video and look how funny I am, 
on some level, that's competitive. It's not necessarily cooperative. It's competing. Who can get the most hits? Who's got the most friends? Who's got the most this? And if somebody has the most, that's a comparison. I mean, somebody else has less. And the person who perceives that they have less may feel that they are less popular, that they are less valuable. And that will make them angry, anxious, or depressed. So I agree that the social media has had a huge impact. And because it's so available and accessible, it's a global impact for those communities that have that access. Do you know that something similar may have happened in a smaller way when the first printing press happened? And all of a sudden, the oral traditions were being replaced by letters in a book. And now there was a permanence to that. And so you now had access to knowledge that you might not have been able to access before. Granted, nowhere near the scale that we have with social media. But I think it's it's the similar sort of structure. Our brains are very eager to absorb information. It's how we survive. But I think we're at a place in our evolution where we're sort of wondering, well, what is true? What is knowledge? How do I know that something is real? We, we have a world in which we have so much information how do you how do you know what's real? Well, if you don't know what's real, that's going to increase anxiety and uncertainty. It's going to increase a sense of unfamiliarity. And what will happen then is as a human being, you will gravitate towards a group that shares your belief because you feel safer there. But we can then step back from that and say, doesn't that mean we all still want the same thing? When we feel valued, we feel safer. Because as a valued human being, I know I'm contributing to my group. That contribution is recognized. And I can stay in that group and not be kicked out and become lunch for saber-toothed tiger. This is why one of the things that I am is all about. It's saying we all want the same thing, which is to feel valued. Human beings have spent millennia increasing their value by decreasing other people's value. And then we're astonished that the other person does the same to us. With social media, we just have a bigger platform to do it, and we can do it so much quicker. But at every and any moment in time, you can remind someone of their value. Whenever you run someone of their value, you increase your own value. That's pretty powerful. And Shay, that's that's what you're doing tonight, right? You've honored me by coming on the show, saying, Dr. Joe, you're valuable. The, part, the things that you have to say are valuable. And that's increasing my value. So I appreciate that. Hopefully, people will listen to this social media and they'll recognize that they have a choice. They can continue to do what we do as human beings and decrease other people's value, or we can remind someone of their value. But either one is an I am. That's the thing. You can now step back and look again at why people do what they do without worrying that it means you have less value. You're just looking at their I am. Why is the best that person can do to feel valuable make me feel less valuable? What's going on in their home or social domain? What's going on in their biological or IC domain? Because you're in an I am. So again, perhaps a longer response than may be expected, especially in our world of social media, where I really should have kept that to 10 seconds. So sorry <laughs> about that. 
So I, I hope that that sort of answers, you know, another hypothesis as to why um, social media used to be a lot more fun. I mean, I, I hope my wife doesn't mind me saying this, but when when we first started using email, um, she thought that LOL meant lots of love instead of laugh out loud. So she would send someone, I'm so sorry to hear about your divorce, LOL. Huh. I'm so sorry to hear you've been diagnosed with cancer, LOL. Uh. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, we laugh about it now. I mean, it happens to this day. Like, <laughs> so I, th like, uh, you know, an old lady might make a post saying like, oh, like my other best friend or some loved one died. And the background would be, you know how on Facebook you can make the backgrounds like the cry, like the laugh crying emoji. Yeah. She just did that. Like, as in like, this is appropriate because it's crying. It's a cry laughing emoji <laughs> uh, to, to disclose a death. Yeah. Yeah. So many rules in this. But, um, but so many people take this so seriously, you know, and, and they, what it really it really reflects is is our own internal sense of inadequacy and our own internal sense of vulnerability as if you're just not good enough but you know what even that's an i am you can look at that as well why don't i feel good enough what's going on in my four domains and what small change can i make in any domain so that I feel a little bit more valuable, a little bit better about myself. So would you say that it's possible some people um, will help people or maybe be nice to people because the idea of them helping someone else puts themselves on a pedestal and kind of validates themselves by helping another person and not because the kindness or purity of their heart. Well, I, I certainly think some people can do that, you know, that they they give to others to enhance their own well-being. At least they're giving to somebody else, even if it means that they're sort of pumping themselves up a bit. You know, I work a lot with kids with substance use. Um, and one of the things that we teach kids and adults with substance use is contribute to society to help with your sobriety when you're giving to other people you're actually improving your value and your sense of self yeah so um to transition a little bit here while we've been talking about a lot of the negative sides of anxiety and the way it's been can hurt people um i guess within the scope of the whole fight flight um freeze response how can anxiety benefit us and be a driving factor in our life uh well it, it absolutely can it's it's a very great motivator anxiety um you know just because you're worried about something doesn't mean that there's absolutely a predator that's what i'm trying to teach people but there are certain things that you want to accomplish there are certain things that you want to feel safer about and in our world, some of those are finances, some of them are careers, relationships. It's in essence, you know, animals want three basic things, right? Uh, they want to be able to have food. They want to have shelter and they want the ability to reproduce. Those three things are imperative and critical to every living organism so that they can get their genetic structure into the next generation. In humans, I translate those into resources, residence, and relationships. So the resources may be the stuff that we have. Is it your new cell phone or is it, you know, um, being able to get a car or is it any number of things. Is it clothing? There are resources that we all have. And you could think of hundreds of different resources. 
residence. It may be not just your home, but your town, the school that you're going to, the country that you live in, and then the relationships. And there are many of those. It's not just, you know, your boyfriend, girlfriend, your spouse, somebody who's close to you, your partner, but, you know, my relationship with, with Tom and Mark, they're my co-hosts. My relationship with the people who work with me, they're my co-workers. There are fellow students, there are teachers, there are a person who will serve coffee. So we have all these relationships. So how's anxiety helpful there? I, you know, I had the great honor and privilege of going to a medical school. Honestly, if I didn't worry at some point that I was going to pass, I might not have studied the way I did. But when I was studying, I initially was not very good at relationships. Carol had come out with me to medical school in Cincinnati. She would come in to my study and say, come on, let's go out and have dinner. Um, and I would say, no, no, no. Medicine's the most important thing. You know, my anxiety about passing medicine overrode my anxiety about potentially messing up my relationship with Carol. So I took my first exam in medical school and I failed it cold. Walked home, was devastated, lost my medical school ID on the way home because unconsciously I didn't belong in medical school. And when I got home, Carol was there and she recognized that I felt defeated. And she came over and gave me a hug. And I realized at that moment that medicine would never give me a hug, but Carol always would. And it changed my perspective. So getting good grades was not as anxiety provoking anymore. What I really wanted to do was be sure that I could create a world in which Carol felt loved and valued and safe. That was the motivation to do as well as I did in medical school and to get into the residency program and to begin creating all these different things that I've been able to do. So sometimes anxiety can be incredibly helpful if it's used as a motivator, if it's used as a way to say, you know, I'm going to do this because my prefrontal cortex can anticipate the future. So I will use my limbic motivation, that anxiety, that little bit of worry to get me going through. I've done a lot of theater in my life. When I'm up on stage, I'm never anxious. The anxiety very often will happen before I'm on stage. As I worry, will I remember my lines? Will I perform the way I want to? Will the audience like me? Will I feel valued? And then you get locked in. And Sink you or swim. Now, say again, Tom? Sink or swim. Yeah. And, and, you're, and, and you're in. So the anxiety was incredibly helpful in creating the character, memorizing the lines, knowing the blocking, and then being able to go out there and perform. So can anxiety be helpful? Absolutely, it can be helpful. It can be a major motivating force in who we are as human beings to help us move forward and anticipate what will happen next. When you're crossing a street and you hear a car coming, you startle. Well, that's acute anxiety to help you survive and not step out in front of a car. So absolutely, anxiety can be incredibly helpful in helping us survive. There's nothing wrong with anxiety. It's what you do with it that's going to be important. Anxiety is a normal part of being human. It can absolutely motivate us to do great things, or it can cripple us and freeze us in place and scare us and make us worry that we're not good enough to achieve anything. So one of the rules and thoughts of the I am, one of the advices is, 
it is much more rewarding to wonder than to worry. And it's much more important to be reflective than reflexive. The reflexive part is our limbic system. And then we can reflect on it. What just happened? Do I need to respond as if there's a saber-toothed tiger? So in that way, you know, anxiety is incredibly helpful because it helps us survive. But it can, just like anything, be too much. So I hope that answers the question a little bit. Absolutely. And more. Yeah, I figured that part, Charlie. <laughs> you had another question? Um, in terms of the benefits of anxiety, I mean, I, I think you really covered it and, and talking about how we talked about earlier, recognizing that anxiety can, can help you channel it properly. Um, what are your thoughts just briefly on meditation and breath work? Is it a band-aid or can it help address kind of the root of anxiety? Oh, I don't, I don't, first of all, band-aid is still a really important utility. So, I mean, if you've got a wound, you probably want to put a Band-Aid on it so, you know, you can stop the bleeding and prevent infection. So there's nothing wrong with a Band-Aid. With, with meditation and breathing techniques, however, um, a lot changes in your biological domain. Uh, there's the relaxation response, which was first developed by this guy, Benson, who was a cardiologist, who realized that when a patient came into the office and he took their blood pressure, it was more elevated, higher blood pressure than when they left the office because they were nervous. And he recognized that you could do deep breathing techniques, the sort of things that, that you talk about, you know, the several breaths in for seconds, and then you slowly release it. And what you're actually doing with that technique in the biological domain is creating nitrous oxide. Nitrous oxide is laughing gas and it relaxes you. So it's absolutely great technique. Meditation, similar, because there's breathing and stuff that goes on with meditation. You're just basically appreciating that you're connected to the world. Um, we spoke a little bit with this guy, uh, Rabbi Rami Shapiro, uh, one show about non-duality and the idea that we're all connected. What do you think is going to make you feel less anxious, being disconnected or being more connected? More connected. Right, exactly, because then you're safer. And that's part of what meditation does. It connects you in a very sensory way with all the world around you. And I think you can actually do that without necessarily having to do just the meditation. I think you can be aware that you are connected to the world. That is part of what the I am is also about. The I am is saying, this is who I am. I'm influenced by these four domains, which means I must be connected to them because they're having an influence. And I can recognize that influence. And if I don't like it, I can change it. You know, so with that in mind, we've been talking a lot about anxiety tonight. Because the four domains interact, the home, the social, the biological, and the IC, a small change can have a big effect. You don't need to change everything. So Shay, given the subject we're talking about tonight, what small change can you recommend to our listeners? Yeah, a uh, small change I'd recommend is kind of the next time you're feeling anxious about any particular scenario, maybe taking a second to, to think back to thousands and thousands of years ago, back in the nomadic eras and looking at, okay, their anxiety was, can they put food on the table and, and hunt properly so their family can eat and, and strip down an animal of its clothing so they can survive the winter? And kind of think about that as a way to frame what you're anxious about. I mean, obviously there's still tons of things that are valid to be anxious about, but maybe for just something that's a little bit smaller, taking that time to, to 
compare and maybe look at what you're anxious about in a different light. It's great. It's a great small change. The second truth of the I am, everyone's got one. Everyone's interested in what you think or feel about them through their IC domain. And you know that has an effect on the biological domain because it feels different when you feel respected or disrespected. And you're part of someone's home or social domain. So what this means is you control no one, but you influence everyone. You get to choose the kind of influence you want to be. Shay Roban, senior at Holderness. What kind of influence do you want to be? The influence that I want to be, I want to be someone that that not only helps people who are in need of help, let's say close to me, but helping them to the point where they feel influenced to help other people. And and along with that, which is just I'm 18, so I don't know where my life is going to head, but building a family of people who, when I pass away, continue on that legacy of helping people and inspiring other people to help others too. I wish that for everyone, Shay. That's a wonderful, wonderful thing. Wonderful. Yeah. The future is bright, Dr. Joe. The future is bright. The future is. Social media or not. Social media or not. Could use less of that. I could use a little bit less of social media myself. Yeah. Well, I, I really appreciate this. It's it's very unusual to have a guest who asks me so many questions. So thank you, Shay. And Mark, thanks for setting this up. Yeah. Um, hopefully you, it, was, it was helpful. And you guys know about that blog of mine on psychology today, a simple technique to manage anxiety, the four R's, recognize, rate, remember, reflect. Check that out. A lot of people are using it. Um, it's the basis of cognitive behavioral therapy because what you think affects what you feel. So if you're nervous, it means you're thinking something and you can change that. All right, folks, have a great night. Have night, a great everybody. Week, everybody. See you soon.